Well, research shows us that about 43% of what you do on a daily basis is performed out of a habit, some habit you have formed. But the ability to develop habits is actually a gift from God. It allows us to live life without having to interpret every single signal that comes to our brain, every piece of information. We don't have to deal with it all if we are able to use some habits as we go through life. Now, God designed your brain to help out by using these habits, and some of the habits that you have are good, and those habits um, um, help you and make your life easier, but there are other habits that are not so good, habits that are actually bad for you, habits that can damage you either physically or even damage you in your relationships. But once they, something becomes a habit, it, it's there really, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something you fight against if you try to stop it. You struggle with it. You fight it. And in many cases, you can't stop it. When you're driven to do something, to repeat a habit, here's what's happening inside of your brain when that's going on. Your brain produces some very powerful chemicals. And these chemicals act like text messages. So your brain produces them in one spot and it sends them like a text message to other parts of your brain. And then those parts of your brain reads the text messages and then they send messages then to other parts of your body to actually do something about those messages. One of those very powerful chemicals, it's called a neurotransmitter, one of those chemicals is called dopamine. Let me give you an example of how dopamine works. For example, if I'm driving down Park Avenue and I turn onto 22nd Street, my brain knows, because I have done this so often, that there's something at Main Street and 22nd Street called McDonald's. And my brain knows that. And my brain is aware that I really love cheeseburgers. I, I adore them. They are also phenomenal. And... I get at that moment that I first think about or see the McDonald's sign, but probably just a thought does it, I get a shot of dopamine. My brain produces this neurotransmitter, this chemical called dopamine, and it gives me a shot of dopamine. And here's what dopamine does. Dopamine sends a text message to other parts of my brain, the pleasure centers of my brain, and it says this, oh, McDonald's is ahead. You know that and you know what's there. A great reward, some pleasure for you, big boy. Harley, you will really enjoy that cheeseburger. A shot of dopamine tells me, hey, there's pleasure coming, pleasure coming. As I get closer to McDonald's, I get another shot of dopamine saying the same thing. You're getting closer. You're on your way. It's really going to be good if you get that cheeseburger. I get more. Even when I hit the stoplight, I get a bigger dose of dopamine. And then right at the moment where I'm having to make a decision to either drive on towards Malvern or turn left real quick into McDonald's, I get a big shot of dopamine that says, now's your chance. Do it. Big boy, do it. Just go. You're going to love it. That's what dopamine does to me. And that's what it does to you. Each hit of dopamine in our mind, in our brain, motivates us towards something that will bring us some kind of pleasure. Dopamine can be called the Go get them, because it's going to be good. Neurotoxin. 
It's a text message telling your brain, get ready, pleasure is ahead, pleasure's coming. If you will just do this, you will get a reward. A text message also, not just saying a reward is coming, but it's also saying uh, you can do it, giving you the motivation to, to focus on it and to chase it down with intense focus. And it's also a text message that says this, remember that because you're going to do that again. You're going to want that again. You're going to want that pleasure again. So remember this, remember this. Dopamine works with other chemicals to do all those things. Dopamine was given to us actually by God to help us survive because it drives some of these fundamental things like eating. Dopamine's behind that. Like the, the drive to get married and have babies so we can continue to populate the earth and not go extinct. Dopamine has to do with that as well. But what was meant to help us survive way back in the Garden of Eden, now today, since Adam and Eve sinned the very first time in the Garden of Eden, and since that moment, sin actually entered into our very DNA in our bodies Dopamine today plays a very significant part, a different part. It's not only there to help us survive, but now dopamine, since we have sin in our bodies, does something else. Dopamine causes us to pursue and to chase down things that can actually destroy our lives. Habits and addictions that are bad for us, they can release an extraordinary amount of dopamine into our system. And that extraordinary amount creates this intense motivation to keep pursuing, to keep running after, to keep chasing after this elusive pleasure. Dopamine also works with other chemicals to change something that happens up here in the front of our brain. It's an area that determines what some wants and needs are. And dopamine works with another chemical to change what is a want and to make our brain believe it's actually a need. And it becomes a need then that must be met. And it must be met in excess. And it must be met to the exclusion of everything else. And it must be met to the point that it can damage us physically and it can damage us emotionally and to the point that it can damage us relationally. And that can happen with any behavior. Like shopping, gambling, video games, exercise. Obviously, I'm a slave to exercise. No, I'm not. But it can happen with all these activities. Drugs and sex and tobacco, alcohol, sugar, processed foods. There's one for me. Cheeseburgers and french fries. It can happen with all of that. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Here's the truth. Absolutely anything that's overly rewarding or that can induce this euphoria in our mind, anything that's actually even calming, all of those things can be addictive. And you may be thinking right now, okay, okay, Harley, listen, I know that's true for alcohol and drugs. I got you, Harley, but not me because I don't have a problem with alcohol and drugs. So this is all, this brain talk is interesting, Big H, but that's not my problem. So this is really not for me. Well, okay. Think about something for me because it, it can happen with almost any 
behavior. Think about your cell phone. The power that your cell phone has over you. When you hear that. When you hear that. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed at night? Probably to check your phone. And when you're trying to go to sleep, if you hear this. While you're trying to go to sleep, you probably reach over and pick up your phone and you check your phone. When you hear that sound, you reach over and you check it, even if you're trying to go to sleep. Now, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? If you're like many of us, it is to check that phone. And what's the first thing you do during your day, even if you are in an important conversation and you hear... You either check it right then, even in the middle of an important conversation, or, or you simply are distracted and you pretend like you're listening until it sounds until you can sneak a peek. These sounds that our phone makes when we have a message, they distract us. It's the cue that says you really need to check that. And every time you hear this, you get a shot of dopamine that says you really need to pursue that. You really need to check that out. You need to know what's going on. You get a shot of dopamine. Because your brain is saying you will get some kind of pleasure, some kind of reward if you just take care of that. That dopamine says, do it. You see, your brain has learned these things and it locks in on them. And the signal is that reminder, that cue that you get a shot of dopamine and it surges in your body. That's why when you walk into a business, um, that a bakery or to a, to a grocery store, anywhere, if they're baking cookies or you walk into your house, suddenly just the smell of those cookies, you get a surge of dopamine and a craving, an instant craving to have that. That's what happens. It happens with all of these behaviors. It provokes us that, that dopamine, we get it, it provokes us to take that next step. The smell of the cookies. For some of you, just driving by a liquor store, an instant craving. It yanks your attention away from what you were doing and it says, focus on this. You really need this. So from addictive surges of dopamine, from addictive behaviors, and also from addictive substances like alcohol and drugs, they can dump an enormous amount of dopamine into your system instantly. In some cases, it will be double what your normal amount of dopamine is. So these addictive behaviors and also addictive substances can flood your system with dopamine. It can be double and up to 10 times the amount of dopamine that surges into your brain in that moment. 10 times the amount compared to just a normal amount of dopamine that God designed to move you forward, to motivate you to go do something in life. Ten times the amount. That is what your brain is like when you're hooked on a habit or you have an addiction. Up to ten times the amount of dopamine compared 
to a normal dopamine experience. Now, when that surge of dopamine happens, listen to what your body does. If you continue that behavior, that addictive behavior, whatever it is, it may be pornography, it, it, could, be, uh, it, it could be even video games, or uh, you know, it, no, it could be a wide range from video games all, all the way to, to shopping and, and all the way to, to drugs, okay? It's a huge range. But when you participate in that behavior, no matter what it is, it dumps that dopamine into your system more than ordinary. And your brain then begins to realize, whoa, 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 this is more dopamine than I can handle. This is more dopamine, your brain says, than I can process. So if it is more than you need, if it's getting to be double or if it's 10 times the amount... In a normal setting, your brain would release a shot of dopamine over, and, and it would do it over a longer period of time. But with these addictive behaviors, it floods your system all at once with a bunch of dopamine. And so your brain responds. It says, whoa, 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 this is too much. This is too much. It's like you're listening to music too loud and you reach over and you turn down the volume because it's beginning to hurt. You just do that. But it hurts. You do just turn it down. Your brain goes and turns down the volume on your dopamine. It gives you less. It slows the production down. It says, whoa, this is too much. We can't, we can't process this. It's too much. And it turns down the volume. That's what your brain does. So you don't produce so much. It's like your brain knows, whoa, 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 this is too much. This is not good for us. Now, the reduction of dopamine now has a huge impact on you. You see, people who have developed an addiction typically find that in time, that behavior or that drug that they are addicted to, the behavior or the drug, over time does not bring them as much pleasure. They can do the very same thing but suddenly it's not as pleasurable. And your brain says, wait a minute, I want the pleasure I used to have. Do you know why it's not as pleasurable? Because your brain has dialed down the amount of dopamine that is being released from that surge. It limits it. And suddenly it is not as pleasurable. but there's another part of your body that says, but I want that same pleasure. I remember what that was like. I want it to be like that. If you're addicted to pornography, what used to do the job, what used to bring you that flood of pleasure in your mind, it doesn't do it anymore. So what does it take? It takes more. It takes more of that being involved more, longer periods of time, more content, more graphic. It takes more in order to get the same amount of dopamine that you used to get in the beginning with just a little bit. Now let's think of something that's a substance. Let's talk about heroin. So when your body gets a flood up to 10 times the amount 
of dopamine and says the first few times you use it, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is too much dopamine. This is not good. And it turns down the dial on dopamine. As your heroin use continues, suddenly you're using the same amount, but you're not getting the same results. Because your body's not giving you as much dopamine. So what, what, what then does your body say? It says more. And when you increase something like heroin, it's not going to harm you emotionally. It's going to kill you. Because your body is saying more so I can have that same feeling of pleasure I had early on. I know what it feels like and it's going to take more, right? But this time it kills you. An addiction. Your body is trying to slow it down, trying to dial it down, but there's another part of your body that says, no, 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 I want what I had, and it takes more, and you can't stop. And in the case of heroin, you die. Dopamine. Huge impact. No matter what the, the behavior, what the habit is, your body says, I can get back to where I was. I just need more. More and more and more to reach the same level of pleasure, which has a lot to do with the dopamine, which says, hey, there's pleasure out there. Go get it. It takes more. So part of our brain is trying to protect us by dialing it down. But there's another part of our brain that says, no, 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 I want more. And that's the part that leads us to destruction, harmful behavior, hurting ourselves, and hurting other people. So what do we do when we can't stop? What do we do? What do we do when our own body fights against itself? And the result is we're just hurting ourselves and we're hurting other people. In this series, we're saying there is a path out, a path from slavery to freedom. And we said to begin this path, the first thing you need to do in week one, we said cry out to God and say, I can't stop this. I've tried to stop it. I can't. If I could have stopped it, I would have stopped it. I can't stop it. God, I need your help. We said cry out to God and ask for help. Here's the second step we said in week one. Believe that God actually listens to you, that he cares, and that he will provide. That was step two. The first week we also said this. Then learn to surrender everything to him. All of you surrender it to his care and surrender it to his control. These are the first steps of you taking this habit or taking this addiction and everything involved with it and learning to lay it down before God. Now, week two, last week, we gave you two more steps. We said, get honest with God. We said, make a list of all of your sins and all of your failures, one by one, every single thing that God brings to your mind for your whole life. Just make an exhaustive list. Write it down as much as you can, as much as God brings to your mind. Just make the list and then ask God one by one, forgive me for this, forgive me for this. Go down that list and ask forgiveness. And God said that he will forgive you. God said he'll forgive you. But then he said, if you want to get started down the road of healing, then there's something else you need to do. 
Because he said, if you want to go down the road of healing, this journey begins when you take that same list and you then share that with another person who is following Jesus. You share it with them and then ask them to pray for you. God said, I'll forgive you, but if you want to go towards healing, then take another step. And here's that step. Now, today we're continuing this path out. A path out from habits that control us to and, and, and enslave us to freedom. So let's get started with today. I, th- I would think that every single one of us, adults and students today, that we could all have our own reasons why we are the way we are. Even if you're 15 years old, 16 years old, you may, you may have your own list of reasons. This is why I act the way I act. If you're an adult, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, we have our own list to say, this is why I act the way that I act. I do the things that I do. And we can give that list. We can say, my father left me. You can say, my father left us. My, my uncle molested me. My, my mother abandoned me. That person over there, they betrayed me. This person over here, they hurt me deeply. We have all these reasons of why we act the way we do. Why we do the things that we do. And I have to acknowledge with you, I'm in there too. Yes, you have been hurt. It is a fact. I have been hurt It is a true story. Yes, we have to acknowledge that. We've been hurt. But if we are going to continue our journey away from being enslaved to habits, if we're going to keep moving away from that, then we're going to have to do something. We have to change the direction of what we're thinking about those things. In fact, we need to, for a moment, stop thinking about how everyone in the world has hurt me. And we need to ask a different question. How many times does your name appear on someone else's list? How many times does your name appear on the list of other people who are saying, that person hurt me? How many people have you hurt. Here's a true statement. Hurt people do what? They hurt people. When you have been hurt, you hurt other people too. As a result, hurt people hurt people. Each one of us, myself included, we damage other people. We hurt other people around us. But we don't want to think about that. We would rather focus on how someone else has hurt me, how they have hurt us. But part of your path out is to change your focus. We're not denying that you have been hurt, that I have been hurt, but we're changing our focus so that we're not blaming other people And we're changing our focus to simply look at our lives and to say, here are the people I have hurt. This is what I did, and this is their name. We have hurt other people. In fact, that's our next step. That's our first step for today. Make a list and start making things right. Make a list of all the people that you have hurt, that God brings to your mind. These are all the people I've hurt. Make a list of what you did and put their name on it. This is who it was. 
Now, making things right involves two things. Here's the first. The first thing, it involves your words. We have to learn to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? With a sincere heart, we have to learn to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And here's the second thing. The first thing are words, but there's a second part of that. The words, that can happen faster, but the second part takes longer. We have to make it right with our actions. You see, God offers forgiveness. When we ask God to forgive us, He forgives us. We have it. When we ask for it, we have it. But when it comes to the people around us, God requires us to ask them to forgive us. But He requires another step. He requires us to make it right. God didn't say we had to do that towards Him. But He says we have to do that towards others. We have to make it right. We have to make amends. We have to make restitution. In fact... When God is setting up this nation of Israel, that's who we've been following through this series. God took this nation of Israel, freed them from slavery. And then as God is teaching them, setting them up as a nation, God gives them some things to do, some things not to do. And a big list of things he wanted them to do all involved. If you have hurt someone, make it right. Make amends. Make restitution. You can find a big chunk of that in Exodus chapter 22. It was important to God. But you say, Harley, that's great, but we're not in the Old Testament anymore. And you are correct. So listen to what Jesus said in the New Testament about restitution. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar, in other words, you are in the process of worshiping God, loving God. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. In other words, you remember, I have hurt somebody. I am on somebody's list. Someone is saying, Harley has hurt them. Someone is saying, you have hurt them. God, Jesus says, when you are in the middle of trying to worship God and you realize you have hurt someone else, he said, do this. Verse 24, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Leave it there. Drop it. Leave it there. Go and be reconciled to that person. He said, go make it right. He's saying, I'm God. But I'm going to come second in this. I can wait. Leave what you were doing. Leave it. I can wait. You go make it right with that person first. Jesus was serious about this. He said, after you make it right with them, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus takes this seriously. You know, as you're making your list, you're going to remember some things that other people have done to you. You're going to remember some ways that other people have hurt you. And we're going to have to learn to stop, to pause, and to begin forgiving those people. Even if they haven't asked, begin forgiving those people. Now to help you do that, we don't have time this morning to talk about how to forgive someone who has hurt you. We've done it recently, though. So go back and listen to this from my SoundCloud account. Go to SoundCloud. 
and then search for Harley Petty and then go to my playlist and find the playlist entitled Tis the Season of Bad Blood. It's the one we just did in December. Tis the Season of Bad Blood and go listen to part five. Tis the Season of Bad Blood and go listen to part five. Here's a second place you can go listen, a second series we did. Now, this is some years back, but I would listen to both of them. If you're struggling with this, go listen to both. The next one's from my playlist, find Family Schmamly. Family Schmamly. Yes, I came up with that. Family Schmamly and go listen to part four. So, Tis the Season of Bad Blood, part five. Family Schmamly, part four. And you will be encouraged. You will it will help you down the road of forgiving the people that are on your list, that, 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 that come to your mind while you're making this new list. That will help you. But we have to learn to shift the focus, to stop focusing on them and how they have hurt us. We've got to learn how to forgive that so that we can make our list and begin to go make things right with the people we have hurt. That's our first step. Here's our next step for today. Stop trying to do this by yourself. You say, but Harley, I'm not doing this by myself. I've got God on my side. I'm not by myself. Yes, you have God on your side. But guess what? God's plan for you is to also add other people. It's not just you and God. Even the verse we used last week in James, James chapter 5 verse 16 It involves other people. If you want to get the healing, it involves other people. He said, confess your your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That requires other people. We can't win this on our own. Even with God on his side, Moses needed other people to walk with him. Even with God on his side, Moses needed other people to help him. So let's pick it back up with Moses. We have Moses who has led these people out of slavery. God led them out. Moses kind of was right there in front. Led them out of slavery. And now he has them being formed into a new nation. They're in the desert. They find themselves in a battle with another another nation. Another people group. They have escaped slavery. But now they're fighting a battle. Now look at this creative way that God kind of teaches Moses that Moses and the nation of Israel, you're going to need other people. This is not just you and God. You're going to need more. Exodus chapter 17, starting with verse 10. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded, and they fought the army of Amalek. So they go into this battle. Meanwhile, Moses and Aaron and Hur, they climb to the top of a nearby hill. So they're going to be up there watching how the battle goes. Verse 11. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, now this is the creative part here, the Israelites had the advantage. So God was teaching them something. As long as Moses had the staff in the air, the Israelites were winning the battle. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Now, this was not by chance. This was not by coincidence. God is teaching something here. Verse 12, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. And guess what that means? That means the whole nation began to lose. It It was not working. 
He couldn't hold them up. And so here's what happened. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. So they sat Moses down. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. They got on each side and they each held a hand up for Moses. Holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. Verse 13, as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. Did you notice? Even with God on his side, Moses needed the help of other people to hold his arms up, to pray with him. And if Moses needed it, guess what? So do we. Becoming free from all of these habits and all the junk and the behaviors that hold on to us is never a by myself kind of thing. Many people come into Sugar Harvest Church and the vast majority of them eventually surrender their lives to Jesus. And then they turn around and some time later and they will get baptized. The vast majority surrender their lives to Jesus and they get baptized. And and then they often maybe slip away back to the house week after week after week. And they ask, well, what's next? What do I do now? What now? Here's the answer. Let me give it to you. And this is our next habit-breaking step. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Don't stop. Don't stay at home. Don't decide to do something else because the weather has changed for good or for bad. Don't let something else become more important, become a priority. Keep showing up. The early church, God even admonished them, encouraged them in Hebrews chapter 10 when he said, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't just slip away. He said, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The early church, they kept showing up. They kept showing up. Some didn't. And they fell away. But the ones who made it through kept showing up. So keep showing up to worship. Keep showing up to a personal Bible study. Keep showing up to serve on a serving team. Keep showing up to your small group. Keep showing up. And we have something new starting. The first week of April. April the 5th, in fact. We're starting a Celebrate Recovery group on April the 5th. In fact, you can sign up right now to be a part of it. You can sign up today. But until that group starts, keep showing up. And even after that group starts, keep showing up. Here. Worshiping and serving. And in a small group. We have three suggestions of a step for you this week. And while I go over these three suggestions, I'm going to ask Chantel to make her way up here. Here are the three suggestions. Number one, if you have a habit that has a hold of you or some kind of hang up in your life, some kind of even if it's an addiction, if something has a hold of you, 
then I encourage you today to sign up for the Celebrate Recovery Group. And here's what you need to do to sign up. Just put your name on the back, on the comment section, and make sure right beside your name, make sure we have a phone number and put down the words, Celebrate Recovery or Recovery Group or CR. It doesn't matter. Put one of those down so that we know that's what you're doing. Maybe you're ready to sign up for that group. It's going to start the first week of April, April the 5th. Here's the second thing. Now, the first one's pretty specific. Here's the second one. This one's for all of us. Make a restitution list. Make a list of everyone that you have hurt. If you have already made something right with someone, that doesn't have to go on the list. Make a list of things that, of people that you have hurt and what you've done. Put their name on it. Put what you've done on it where you have not yet made it right. Make that list and then begin to make it right using your words and using your actions. And here's the third thing. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep showing up to worship. Keep showing up to serve on Sundays. Keep showing up to your small group. Keep showing up. In fact, this morning I'm going to plug you in here so that you have sound so they can hear you. This is Chantel. Chantel and her husband Sam and, and their boy are a part of our church and we're delighted. We're delighted. I, I've asked Chantel, she's going to be helping us start the Celebrate Recovery Group at Stuttgart Harvest Church. And I've asked her to share with us some of her story. So you in your life have faced some things that we could call habits. Awesome. Well, that's our prayer. That's our hope. I want to lead us in a prayer before we lift our hearts and song to Jesus. Will you join me? Let's pray. God, if the mighty Moses, if he had you and he still himself needed others, then God, your plan for him is also your plan for me. God, I need you, and my friends here, they need you. We need others in our lives as well. May we keep showing up. May I not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another, especially now that we know that the day is closer of your return. God, give me the wisdom to keep showing up. Two encourage others and to be encouraged and father give me the strength to write my restitution list god give me the courage to say that i'm sorry and to ask for forgiveness and to begin to make things right in the name of jesus our savior we pray amen